This is a recording made in the chapel of the open book under the covering title uh, Truth for Young Believers, Short Studies for Young Believers, and we are going to read a portion of scripture, Acts 13, verses 26 to 39. And I would like you, if you will, to switch off now and read that to, by yourselves so that we may come along together. Acts 13, verse 26 down to verse 39. Thank you. Now in these short studies for young people, I feel that there is a need that we should at least attempt to give some guiding lines with regard to that mighty epistle, the epistle to the Romans. I know we're not living in the days of miracles just now, and it's almost asking for a miracle in little meetings of 20 minutes each to do very much with an epistle like Romans. Uh, But I feel that unless we do, we shall have a gap in our understanding of God's purpose, which would be very serious. Now, I hope that you have already read the passage in Acts 13, and so you see the Apostle has made a statement in this first part of his great public ministry to emphasize this fact, and by him, that is to say the risen Christ, all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. He's packed into that a good deal of that which he now enlarges and develops in the Epistle to the Romans. So without more ado, I want you to turn to the Epistle to the Romans and just get a few guiding lines. We can't do much more. A few guiding lines as to the study of this very wonderful book. And on the blackboard that we have at this chapel, I have put two capital letter R's, rather elongated, with a space in between, so that if you care to do the same on a sheet of paper, two capital letter R's, then the first letter R will be the word righteousness, and the second letter R will stand for the, for the word revealed. That's the first group. Righteousness revealed. Now that is the covering thought that I want to give you to guide you in re- reading Romans, the first chapter. And you'll find that I've got my warrant for it in verse 17. Romans 1, verse 17, Righteousness Revealed. So we'll read it. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed, from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Righteousness Revealed. Now we go back to the beginning and we notice that Paul has declared in verse 1 that he was separated unto the gospel of God Verse 3, which is concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Gospel of God is concerning his Son. When next he speaks about this Gospel, he goes straight away at it in verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the Gospel of his Son. And then for the third time in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ. The good news of God comes from God as the author but focuses our attention upon Christ the Son as the one in whom all is vested and without whom no gospel is possible. I think we see that. Well now, notice again, when you're reading an epistle like Romans, remember that the writer of it is packing the truth and he's a very logical writer in this Romans and one of the little signs that an argument is in progress is the use of the word for. You could hardly go up to a person in the street and straight off say, for. 
I mean, there must be some reason why you use the word for. So would you look now at um, verse 16? It starts with the word for. Well, that means to say he said something already, and what he has said is this, summing up in verse 11 onwards. He said, you know, I've longed to see you. I've made many plans to come to you, but I've been hindered many times. But he said, I want you to understand that I'm not um, holding back. He says, I'm a debtor, verse 14, to preach to Greeks or barbarians. It doesn't matter to me, it's the same gospel, they all need it, and I'm going to prove that to you presently, he says. So, verse 15, as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for, see? Oh, yes, he said, don't misinterpret me. Because you happen to live in Rome or New York or Philadelphia or London, it doesn't mean to say you don't need the same gospel as anybody else. For, now he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Well, that may be a tame way of putting it. The apostle sometimes uses a figure of speech meaning to belittle in order to emphasize. And there's a possibility he really said this, I should think not. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I glory in it. You see, like that. And then he says, Paul, why are you in this attitude to it, Paul? He said, it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. That's the reason why he said, I'm not ashamed of it. And do remember this, that the word power in this verse is the word that you meet in the gospel according to Matthew over and over again, and it is translated miracle. So that although we may not live in a day of evidential miracles, where we raise the dead and cleanse the uh, sick and give sight to the blind and all that, yet he is a miracle that must go on every time a person is saved. That's a miracle. It's not brought about by argument. It's not brought about by any effort of our own. If you're a believer in Christ, a miracle has been wrought on your account. It's the miracle of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Then there is slipped in the words to the Jew first and also to the Greek, which we'll leave alone for the time being. There's another four waiting for us in verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then finally there's a last four for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So, two revelations are given here. Either you will be associated with the one and be saved, or you must be associated with the other and be condemned. I don't see any way of avoiding those two. Now we are anxious that everyone who listens to these recordings and comes under the ministry of the word shall be numbered among those who are believers. That's the only way in which you can receive it. You stretch out the hand of faith. The hand of faith is empty. You don't bring any gifts in it. You cannot buy this salvation, but it is faith. There's a little problem in our version when it says it's from faith to faith. And it's most likely that there is one of those little omissions which very often come in quick writing, and it reads like this, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed, a righteousness from faith addressed to faith. The repetition mentally of the righteousness which is originating in faith is addressed not to works, not to law-keeping, not to being a circumcision, not to being a Jew, doesn't matter whether you're a Gentile, it's just to faith. And there are some 
who will make a little objection to this and say, well, why should God emphasise faith? Why not something else? Well, it's about the lowest minimum that you could demand of anybody. If you're going to have any dealings with somebody else, you're going to sell them a house, or you're going to sell them a car, or you're going to sell them, oh, I won't go any further over that, there must be a, either a, a true or a false faith. Otherwise, you'd never listen to anybody. You'd never do anything. If you write a letter, it may be most important. But you put a stamp on it, you drop it in the postbox. You don't see the man who comes to collect it. And if you did, it wouldn't make any difference. You don't know what they're going to do with it. But you just have to go on for ordinary everyday life would not move. We should all be stuck if we didn't have just that elementary faith. Well, God says that's the minimum. And so there's no doubt about that. So here we have this righteousness revealed. Now, to be revealed suggests a revealer. And it's not a matter of discovery. It's not a matter of searching. It must come either from God or it will never come at all. He is the revealer of this. Well, now it looks as though that righteousness is most important in the mind of God. He doesn't say, now, I'm a God of almighty power. I'll just say, like I said at the beginning, let there be light, and there was light, and all men will believe and be saved. He doesn't say that. He says, oh no, I'm dealing with moral creatures. I'm dealing with those who have a conscience. I'm dealing with those who know right and wrong, up to a measure. And he said, the one thing that must never be tinkered with is the righteousness of God. Now this righteousness of God can have two meanings. If this means the righteousness of God as a judge, well, that's going to condemn us. But this means a righteousness which God himself provides because we haven't got one. That's the power in the gospel. You see, we mustn't merely think of God's love and God's mercy and God's grace and God's kindness. We've got to think that all that love and mercy and kindness has provided the one thing that heaven demands, that you and I should be right. And you know that we are by nature wrong. And there are some things, some who think that we can say, oh well, we can't do all that God wants us to do, but if we just believe, he reckons that a good work. He doesn't. It's no work at all. Uh, if you look a bit further in Romans to see this emphasis upon the difference between grace and faith and works, you'll see in the uh, ninth chapter, Oh, the 11th chapter, I'm sorry. He says um, in verse 6, And if it's by grace, then is it no more works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace? Otherwise, work is no more work. He will not allow you to mix up working for salvation and receiving it as a free gift. Now, there's no doubt about it in the teaching of the Apostle Paul. Salvation is a free gift. It's never earned, it's never merited, never can be. And I rather wonder whether he would turn to Luke, who was one of his right-hand men, you know, Luke stood with him right the way through to the very end, and Luke had written a gospel concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Luke's gospel, we have one or two passages, especially the parables, that would make a good background for Paul's teaching. Supposing he wanted to have a picture of this way of getting righteousness, wouldn't he turn around to Luke and say, Luke, you tell them that parable. What parable, Paul? You tell them that parable of the publican 
and a Pharisee. Oh, yes, he said. Men and brethren, two men went up to the temple once to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee, he said, I give tithes of all I possess. I keep the fasts and feasts, do it so many times a week. And then he looked at this publican and he said, I'm not like this publican. Then the other man, the publican, he didn't even bother about comparing himself with anybody. He simply stood in the presence of God and said, God be merciful to be the sinner. Now, here's where we get justified comes in. The only time it does come in the Gospels in this sense. He says, our Saviour said that man, not the Pharisee, not the one who kept the law, not the one who tithed things, not the one who fasted. He says, that man went down to his house justified rather than the other. So you see, it's by faith. You stretch out the hand by faith and you receive this gift. And you must have it because there's no possibility of standing in the presence of a holy God in the filthy rags of your own righteousness. You must be cleansed. You must be clothed. You must be crowned to take the three figures. And so we have it here. Well now this emphasis upon the fact that this righteousness is revealed is stopped by the Apostle for a moment. He's going on to something else which we shall look at in the next 20 minute study. So will you turn the page in Romans 3 and see how he picks this up again. Verse 21. This is where he picks up where he left off. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Now the word manifested is not the same as the word revealed but it has much the same meaning, hasn't it? Something which is revealed or something which is manifested is something which is now made clear. A veil is taken away, a light is shining upon it. But now is a change. This is what God is doing now. The righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now in chapter 1, he quoted from one of the prophets. At the end of verse 17, it says, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And that, that is a quotation from a very obscure prophet in the Old Testament named Habakkuk. And he stresses this expression, the just shall live by faith. And it's a passage which has seized upon the Apostle Paul's mind because in Galatians he writes, the just shall live by faith. In Romans he says, the just, putting a stress on the word just, shall live by faith. And in Hebrews he quotes it for the third time, the just shall live by faith. He gives you three sermons, one on just, one on faith, one on live. And the Galatians is the sermon on faith, Romans is the sermon on just, Hebrews is the sermon on live. So you see, he says, I can appeal to the Old Testament scriptures. And once we've seen the perfect work of Christ, we can see that they were anticipating it and pointing to it. So he says, Verse 22, what is it that these Old Testament prophets witness? Even the righteousness of God. Now he's back again, you see. He says the power in the gospel is because it reveals the righteousness of God. But it doesn't reveal the righteousness of God himself, but the righteousness which comes from God as his gift, making us accepted in the beloved. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. That's how we receive it as he's already said, uh, that it is addressed to faith. 
And it's unto all, now here's two statements, it's unto all and upon all them that believe. I think you've got to pause a little bit. It's unto all. Now you can never tell when you're preaching this gospel whether the person listening to you is going to believe it or not. And you don't say, um, I don't like the colour of your eyes or I don't like the look of your face or I don't believe you're going to accept it and turn away. You say, no, it's unto all. All sorts and conditions of men. But it's upon all them that believe. It may be addressed to all, but it doesn't follow that every single person will receive it. So, it's unto all and upon all them that believe. And then he says, there's no difference. For all have sinned. And this brings us to the basis of it all. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely. Here's our word righteousness expressed in another term. Now that's another thing to remember when you're studying Romans, that the word righteousness and the word justify both originate from the same word. You see, in our English language, we can say glory and glorify, but we can't say righteous and righteousify. So we have to say righteous and justified. So here's the thing which means you are now accredited with righteousness. You are accounted righteous in the sight of God and it's freely, that's without a cost, it's by grace, it's through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. And then one more word before we finish this first approach. It says in verse 25, at the end of verse 25, to declare his righteousness. And in verse 26, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. Whose righteousness? God's. Oh, never forget that if God is concerned about you being made righteous in his presence, he's very, very much concerned that he shall be righteous when he saves a poor sinner. Now, how's he going to do it? Well, he can't do it by merely saying, well, I'll forgive you this time. No. He must be just at the moment that he justifies the ungodly. Fancy God can justify the ungodly and there's only one way he can do it. He can point to someone who became, for our sakes, was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Well now, what an awful thing it is to have to stop, isn't it? And we'll have to stop for a moment because these are short studies. I've asked myself, I wonder if I've given myself too big a task but if I could only pinpoint a few approaches to this great epistle to the Romans, I feel that those of you younger people who are approaching the truth of God, you will value them at what they're worth and you will make this wonderful book your own.